This is Creators in Vietnam with Tuesi and Moni. We aim to inspire you on your journey by interviewing creative entrepreneurs across Vietnam who make a positive impact on their community and their own lives. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. In this episode, we're joined by the amazing Denise Drew. She's a coach and trainer and the founder of Tide Consulting. She shares with us her journey on how she overcame her childhood traumas of being sexually harassed at a young age and the process of deep self-exploration that she had to take and is still taking today in order to heal and grow into her authentic self. Today, she'd like to inspire others on their journey from trauma to triumph through her coaching and her consulting company, Tide. In her own words, growing out of trauma is possible. I have no regrets on what happened as it may be who I am today. It pushed me to explore myself at the deepest level And today, I use this exploration and my people skills to help others explore themselves, strengthen their confidence and self-esteem, both in their professional life and personal life. Her vulnerability and her willingness to share about this part of her life really resonated deeply in our hearts, and we hope it will resonate in yours. Welcome back to another episode of Creators in Vietnam. Today, your host is going to be Tuesi, and my co-host is going to be Moni. Hello. Welcome, Moni. Welcome. Our guest today is Denise Trung. How are you, Denise? I'm good. Thank you very much. <laughs> good. Denise is a coach and trainer and the founder of Tide Consulting. Yes. Yes. Welcome to the podcast. Today is the first time, actually, you're getting interviewed on a podcast. Exactly. Thank so, you very much for your invite. Yes, I'm very happy to have you. So let's get into the interview. I know that you are from France, actually. Mm -hmm. I'm from France, too. So yay for yay. France. French <laughs> <Yay. laughs> And um, so the way we're going to do this interview, we're going to talk about your childhood first. Mm -hmm. And I know you have quite the childhood. So first, what I wanted to know is, since you're from France, how was it to grow up Asian, I guess, in France? Growing up as Asian in France was challenging because mm -hmm. I grew up in a very small town uh, mm -hmm. by the border with Switzerland. Yes. And I was the only Asian in town of my age uh, with my brother. So when I was born, I felt different from the beginning, but it was a different, like, it's difficult to describe it. I felt different, but at the same time, I integrated into the culture so much that I didn't feel different until I moved out of this town uh, yes. and I, I've been to Lyon for my studies mm -hmm. and I realized, oh, actually all my friends are Asian. Maybe I'm attracted to mm -hmm. those Asian friends because I feel more close culturally. Mm -hmm. We would do like a raclette or a fondue, like we would eat a fondue. <laughs> But the talks that we would have would be around how we grew up uh, in Asian families in different parts of, of France. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I felt different from the beginning. I was victim of racism. People would call me like Shintok and not really understanding the power of this word and how it could be hurtful. Quick question for you. Did you know the power of the word Shintok when you were... So if you don't know for the audience, sorry, Shintok is like the N-word for Asian people in France. It's like derogatory for Chinese people. Mm -hmm. Did you know how bad it was of a word? I didn't know, but mm -hmm. I, I could feel mm -hmm. that it was insulting. Yeah. I could feel the, the intention behind the word. Mm -hmm. Then the first time somebody told me that, I asked my mother, 
And my mother was not able to explain to me what that word meant. She didn't know or she wouldn't be able to, like she couldn't, she didn't want. You know, in Asian culture, when there is a problem, Uh you tend to avoid it. I see. (laughs) Yeah. So she avoided it. Mm-hmm. And I never had like a real clear answer to that mm-hmm. until I asked my brother, who is eight years older than me, mm-hmm. and who knew who knew how to how to explain that to me. So how did you handle all of that? I handled it by fitting in as much mm-hmm. as possible, putting all my efforts to fit in. I tried to please people as much as possible, saying yes as much as possible, Mm -hmm. not being a problem at all, learning how to be transparent. My teachers would say like, oh, she's... Elle est sage comme une image. Ah, yes, yes. She's quiet as a picture. Yeah. She's unmoving, like, you know, like she's not moving. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But actually, inside, built like a deep anger Mm. and frustration that I kept for my whole life until I started to do some self-development, which took me years Mm -hmm. to take me to that point where today I'm here in front of you guys uh, being interviewed and ready to to talk about it and be open about it. Because it's not, it's like big weights in my heart and my, my... body, my guts, Mm -hmm. that I've been working on to lift and to embrace as Mm -hmm. they are. It's been quite a journey and it was very heavy um, to keep silence on those things. And I wonder, like, was there anything that your parents said you to be or behave that made you also be that way? Because I remember my parents said, like, you have to study well for others to respect you in the community. And they also kind of not saying directly to blend in, but somehow their language kind of implied to, you know, be a model Mm -hmm. in society. Did you have anything like that? Mm, They wouldn't say it like that. It was not prescriptive. They were more into comparing me with my cousins. The game again. Yeah. Yes. And also they were so busy with their life because they had their own business that was booming and it was like great and I'm thankful for that, for the business of my family. However, they didn't take enough time on my education, which means that the pressure that they gave, they put into me was very, not subtle, but it was... Um, how can I say that? Toxic. Not toxic. Stressful. It was... It's like a tiger mom like, type of... Uh... No, because I felt lonely and mm. left out. Not enough guidance. And not enough guidance. Yeah. And for example, my family business was restaurants. And the thing is that restaurants is not a, a classical business because you have very specific time shifts, right? You work when... People are not working. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And basically having this rhythm was quite challenging because they were not here when I was not at school. And they were here when 
I was at school. So we'd have like very small, short moments where we could interact. And for example, in family uh, dinners, we wouldn't talk about our days or about uh, are you happy or how are your friends or it was very we need to do the business and be ready for opening the restaurant and it was only about doing and not about feeling or thinking or talking Mm -hmm. so for a long time I had some struggle to talk to voice my opinions and ideas because I was not used to do that Mm And whenever they would ask me questions, I would make sure that it was problemless. My answers were problemless, worryless, and yes. say like, "Yeah, I got it." But as a kid, a oh, six-year-old or seven-year-old, it's super heavy, right? Yeah. yeah. And so when I was a kid, I was harassed, sexually harassed, by one uh, staff in the family business in the restaurant he was the best staff and um and and it was something that i felt was wrong but i was like this is wrong but i keep on going because he's giving me the attention that i'm seeking Mm -hmm. in my parents because they didn't have the time so i it kind of created a pattern inside me of uh, like attachment to somebody who is molesting you mm-hmm. um, which is not very healthy it's not, yeah. <laughs> yeah but yes, that's yeah. unconscious and it's unconscious yes. but, yeah. but it was learned like very early in my life how old and were you sorry again how old six, six okay yes. like around five to six year old mm. yeah. five to six year old yeah wow okay and so that how long did that last it lasts i have no idea i don't know because when you're (laughs) an adult and you look back in your childhood like the time is very fuzzy and for me actually i i remember clearly the end of it because i was such a lonely child that one day we went to the lac Clément which is a lemon lake, the Geneva Lake, which is quite nice with the mountain, the lake. It's very beautiful scenery. It was like holidays. I was six. And then we were in the restaurant and there was a small port, a small harbor, where there was ducks. And I saw some lonely ducks and I connected with that duck (laughs) as a child. (laughs) And I had some bread and I tried to feed that lonely duck as much as possible, but he was so far that I ended up into the lake, into the water, but I didn't know how to swim. Mm-hmm. And the person that saved me is the person that sexually harassed me. Yeah. So it created a connection, like a pattern, a connection of ideas of, oh, he's my saver, but at the same time, like behind that, like he's also the person that that touched me, that was, that was doing wrong, something wrong to my body. But I remember after that event, like he literally saved me. And after that event, he stopped. He said, it's wrong. What I'm doing is wrong. And he put like a distance between us. 
and that's mm-hmm. how it ended up around six and i remember starting swimming classes afterwards <laughs> <laughs> and how was it for you when you realized what is happening really like when was the age because i imagine like when you were six you kind of were going along mm-hmm. what's happening around you and at the age of six you are not mature enough to actually put the label on what's really happening and you were also lonely in that moment so as a lonely child you actually need just an attention from someone when was the age when you realize or what was the moment when you realize what was happening actually um I think I like I buried it like for a long time and the time where I realized that something like this happened really is when I was 15 I went for two months of a language exchange trip in Australia mm-hmm. and he moved there also and at some point like we never talked about it we never never mm-hmm. never talked about it. I kept silent on it he kept silent on it and uh, throughout the years I just buried it and forget it I had this capacity of forgetting that trauma and at 15 so uh, we met in Australia because he lived there and I remember that moment where we were in front of his house he was smoking and I was sitting in front of his house and he said did you tell your parents and both of us knew what we were talking about I said no and that's it and that's where it became real Mm -hmm. I was like okay it really happened I am not crazy it's not my imagination it really really happened and then I buried it again because I was too afraid of facing that mm-hmm. big problem yeah. yeah because at 16 i knew that it was a problem mm-hmm. <laughs> then come fast forward to my by coming to vietnam i had a panic attack or anxiety attack i don't know exactly which one it was but i had an attack on that and that uh, triggered my self-development and that's when i started going to see a psychotherapist where we unburied all the things inside me that we needed to work on mm-hmm. or I needed to work on yeah can you share mm-hmm. what was the broad categories of the things that you had to work on like what your therapist told you to mm-hmm. so the broad categories were my silent mode my silence where is it coming from my difference the trauma of being sexually uh, harassed mm-hmm. and all of those were reasons of me managing my emotions in the wrong way mm-hmm. where i buried all those emotions yeah. and tried to cover them so that i can fit in yeah yeah, yeah. We always say that we are burying emotion and we want to cover it, but it never works like this. It just becomes this pressure cooker that becomes this like very toxic onions and you have to peel it out very slowly. And I think it's a big work to do. Yes. And thank yeah. you so much for sharing. Thank yeah. you so much, really. I think yeah. there is a lot of work on forgiveness too, you know, like self-forgiveness, I'm mm-hmm. sure. To be able to share today is already a big, <laughs> a big, big, big step onto, onto that. Yeah, so, exactly. Kudos. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm sharing it today because I think that it's important to be vulnerable and mm-hmm. to say out there that if you've been a victim yeah. of sexual harassment or feeling different or feeling lonely when you're a kid, that can explain a lot of your behaviors and emotions and there is a solution to that, Mm -hmm. which is self-care and self-knowledge. I can relate so much to so many things that you've said so far. I didn't want to cut you off because I wanted you to be able to express everything, but I, there is a few times where you mentioned the word problems and I feel like in my life it was to not make problems was a big goal because my it was like if I made problems in front of my father that was the problem like the consequences were so much harsher and you were saying about like you know being as still as a picture mm. it was like literally me I was trying to be as invisible as possible and at the same time I had so much emotion buried uh, my mom passed when I was six and that was my trauma that lingered so much and Throughout my childhood and my teenagehood, my father was still signing with my mom's signature and we were not allowed to talk about it. And so I had like very little emotional tools to talk about it. And that's the guidance that I think our parents lacked off. I don't know, for maybe yeah. for me, it also for me the same. about it. But, you know, there is that Asian immigration, I feel that, you know, our parents didn't know anything about emotional intelligence. And it was like, the more we bury it, the more we don't talk about it, and the more we focus on the survival of the appearances and the and the physical body, the more it's going to be okay. <laughs> and so we grew up very disturbed, I feel, very traumatized. Mm. And for me, yeah. it's, it expressed itself in addictions and, and all those things way down the road, mm. way, way down the road. And then I had to be like, oh, fuck, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's because of all of this childhood and... Yeah, you also didn't talk uh, about emotions at home, yeah. and the problem with this is that it's uh, these emotions exist in childhood, and since we don't deal with them actively, we kind of lock them down in a storage room mm-hmm. in the back of our mind, mm-hmm. and our mind always just trying to protect us emotionally, so it just keep keep them there. But yeah. at some point in our life, they're gonna come out, <laughs> they come out, and then say, "Hi, I want you to resolve me." <laughs> And it really shows how brave you are, Denise, to openly talk about it because it means that you open up that storage room (laughs) in your mind to deal with each of that trauma that you had. Mm -hmm. And I I work on each of them and I embrace them as much as possible. (laughs) It's a work in progress. (laughs) It takes a lot of effort. It is. Coming back to emotional intelligence, I think it's something that is quite new. It's like a hundred year old. It's a very recent phenomenon, right? Because yes. our whole society yeah. is based on rules and opinions and mm. having as much organization as possible. Yeah. And emotions are not organized. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's based on the ego. Everything is based on the ego. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So, so we are starting to have this emotional intelligence movement, but it's mm-hmm. quite new. And I don't think it's specific to Asia. I think the no. whole world is mm-hmm. struggling with that. Maybe not Africa, because somehow, like, maybe <laughs> they are not there yet or they are super connected. Because one of my, one of my motto in life is Ubuntu. Ubuntu, yes. Uh, which is, I am because we are. Mm-hmm. And it's an African saying, and I think that it's brilliant. It's just one word, and it's all like, I, you are me, and I am you. And there is this communion between us 
that help us grow together. And this is exactly what I want to bring to my life. It's like the impact that I want to bring to the community surrounding me. But yeah, I think it's more like a worldwide uh, <laughs> trend of being more uh, vulnerable with our emotions, embracing our traumas so that we can have as much impact as possible. I'm sure after what happened in your childhood, you must have seen some patterns in the way you connect with people. Mm-hmm. And so how were you doing at that time with connecting with others and how are you doing today with connecting with others? So in the past, since I didn't want to create any problem, I would fit in. I would say, I mean, I was a people pleaser, like really saying yes, 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 yes. And I wouldn't think about anything else than pleasing people. So that was my strategy. There was no calculations. Mm -hmm. Just what matters is that the other felt good. I still do that, but at a certain level now, mm-hmm. since I did my self-development work, like I started my self-development journey, is that I do it only for the people that I choose mm-hmm. and that I feel connected to, mm-hmm. not to everyone. That's the difference. Yeah. It's like I'm more mm-hmm. conscious on connecting with people yeah. and I'm more like a master of this connection. Mm-hmm. I know that it's not everybody that have the skill to connect to people i know that i have a value to add to the community mm-hmm. and this is a very intuitive skill of connecting people together but i'm not doing it for everyone and that's yes. the difference yeah. between today yeah. and yesterday very good and i think yeah. you you're so more connected with yourself obviously yes yes so that was very important for my own recovery was learning how to connect with myself and learning self-care self-compassion yeah to be able to develop real boundaries. I was a people pleaser too. And mm-hmm. it took me a lot of reconnection to myself to be able to be like, hey, I can I can do things, but not for you, not for you, not for you. I choose. <laughs> so exactly. That's, that's very good. And, and this is coming all from, it starts from the question, who are you? Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's super simple. Because when you people please, actually... You are the biggest people pleaser if you don't know yourself mm. because you think you are not acceptable or not mm-hmm. likable or worth or worth. And that's when yeah. people pleasing I <laughs> comes. I carried that my whole life. Yeah. You know, those words that you're not enough, you're not enough. Like, you yeah. know, I'm trying to like get that external proof or uh, you validation, know, like, validation. Yeah. i was yeah. like i was like validate me even now my yeah. my love language is words of affirmation because <laughs> there's this little insecure me inside that just like won't let go still yeah and the yeah. thing is that i think it will never disappear really because no. that's your no. operational system mm-hmm. yeah but being aware of it and trying your best to reduce the moments of self-doubt mm-hmm. This is the key to having an impact. Yeah. 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 I, I want to get into those <laughs> conversations. So I think your your whole self-development journey, if I'm reading this right, started when you just before you came to Vietnam or when you came to Vietnam? When I came to Vietnam. All right. And how many years ago was this? That was about five years ago. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> four, four years and 11 months. Four years and 11 months. So yes. you came in which year? Uh, 2017. All right. January, like second Okay, 10 months. Four years and 10 months. 
So, wow. yeah, since uh, January 2nd. Happy <laughs> four years and 10 months anniversary, two months <laughs> to go. So before we dive into the whole self-development part, like what was your reason to, for coming to Vietnam? I found a, a job. Yeah. In France, we are very lucky to have a very nice contract that helps young professionals to go abroad and, and represent French companies. Mm. It's uh, called the VIE contract. Yes with very nice compensation and benefits and very nice salary. So I had the, I was lucky to find this opportunity to represent a French company here, specialized in freight forwarding, in the logistics mm -hmm. and international transportation. So that's how I came to Vietnam. And when I arrived, I stepped out of Tan Son Nhat Airport. It was, yeah, <laughs> no, but... Oh, so, okay, so Moni has just made a gesture <laughs> of openness, and this is exactly what uh, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an openness, and I felt that Saigon was hugging me mm -hmm. with the warmth, uh, yeah. with all the people shouting, taxi, taxi. I know yes. the feeling. Yes, it, yes. Was, it was amazing. And once I was in the taxi, I saw all the uh, motorbikes surrounding you and i felt like it, it's like water like a wave mm. taking you through the town and i felt amazing and i really mm. love that that yeah, feeling and makes me think of that word ubuntu ubuntu yeah, right like everybody just goes <laughs> together exactly. <laughs> it was, yeah. exactly that's where the name of my company comes from it's tide mm. so related to waves and the yes. tides i see of the sea at the ocean nice nice anyway did you know you were on a healing journey when you came to vietnam or it was just like for work the vie and you came and it was just like oh like this whole transformation started um no i was not conscious about that mm -hmm. i didn't come to vietnam to work on myself i came to vietnam because before that i lived for three years in uh, shanghai mm -hmm. where my brother lives uh, for more than 10 years So it was kind of going back home to go to Shanghai. And during my professional life, I was not very happy. So I was looking to explore new adventures, new endeavors. And I really wanted to go abroad, like not staying in Shanghai, where I felt in my comfort zone. So then this opportunity of going to Vietnam presented itself. And I was like, Yeah, okay, let's go. Let's go Vietnam. Uh, I grew up with a pho and a, <laughs> and a buntin nun sai. I'm like, literally. And, and now, so my personal quest is to find the same pho as uh, my chef, the chef of my restaurant used to do. But it's super hard because hard. every pho is personal to the chef. Yeah. Exactly, yes. <laughs> yes. So yeah, when I arrived in, that, in Vietnam, I had those weight of traumas still on my shoulders for 10 months i was on a honeymoon period where everything was nice i loved the being being under a 35 degrees celsius environment <laughs> the sun was amazing i was like starting to build my friend uh, circles yes. who are still my friend today so i'm so grateful for that but i started to have like a to settle and everything was so nice during 10 months mm. and what ended that period is the, the panic attack that I had and I mentioned before yes. because I was pleasing too much people mm -hmm. and in a person 
in particular, I was saying yes to her all the time. She was going through a crisis in her couple, and I had an apartment, so she asked for crashing to, on my couch. And the thing is that she kind of took advantage mm-hmm. of this and stayed more than was scheduled. Mm-hmm. And she started to be dirty, and my roommates complained, and all the stuff. But everything built up like... I said yes to everything, and it built up until the moment where I couldn't do that anymore. And I felt dizzy. Luckily, I was in my room. I felt dizzy, and it's like a computer shutting down. Yeah. And I just like fell on my, on my bed and went into sleep. Yeah. Your brain couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. yeah. And that's the moment where I said, Okay, I could not control anything at that time. This is a little bit worrying. Uh-huh. <laughs> so let's work on myself and let's go to see a psychotherapist mm-hmm. and and try, just try. Yeah. And that's where everything yeah. started to unpack. And Yes. Yes, yes. And do you know like more of the reason why you had that panic attack now? Or was it one of the first times that you had to stand up and like say no to someone that you were pleasing like this Mm -hmm. and that probably just was like too overwhelming yeah 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 Yeah. it's my heart saying no Mm -hmm. and my brain saying yeah yeah yeah. please her please her like say Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. it's okay it's all right (laughs) you know and there was uh, internal conflict that happened Mm -hmm. and i just couldn't take it anymore yeah and my body couldn't take it anymore it was saying, yeah. sending you the signals like yeah. stop it stop yeah. the pleasing stop like literally I yeah. was it shut down yeah. completely yeah. looking back at that it's quite um, amazing how the body can work and mm-hmm. sending us signals yeah. and now I'm more conscious about that also yes yeah that's definitely that's what I learned as well and also in terms of emotions like I'm sure it happened in the process of like being a people pleaser that you always had these emotions coming up in your body and in your mind but your ego just shut them down Mm -hmm. and when you had the panic attack probably that was the tipping point when your brain was like not this time (laughs) and that all came out so to continue on that topic, and again, thank you for sharing all of this. So I, I see here that you you talk a lot about your exploration was a lot about exploring your fears. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about the exploration that you had with that? There was no organization, no plan, uh-huh. no action plan. I just followed my intuition. Yeah. I followed my heart. Yeah. There's a lot of things that I do <laughs> that are by intuition. Good. I see it as seeds that got planted into my spirit and then they, at some point mm. they just bloom and then I just go into action. For example, I've been willing to go meditate on a meditation retreat yes. for a long time since I was in Shanghai. I was always interested into that of being isolated and just meditate for hours in a temple and just swipe floor. Let's do this. Mm. I'm very interested into that, like yeah. in this experience. And it just came, the opportunity just was triggered by one friend going to Vipassana. Vipassana, yes. Three years ago. And she just inspired me to go also mm-hmm. because when she, once she came back, she was shining. Like, nice. she was shining with alignment 
she was peaceful. Nothing was a problem. She was very like literally water, and at the same time shining like a firefly at night. <laughs> And it was amazing, and and I was like, I I need to do that. I need. <laughs> I she just like convinced me to to do it, not by talking about it, but more like being, and <laughs> seeing her being mm. so shiny. There was no doubt anymore. So I booked the Vipassana the the day after or the week after, and it was amazing. Yeah, it was really amazing and hard. And hard at the beginning, no. Hard at the beginning, hard every time actually, <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And it, what vipassana helped me to do is to face myself mm. and face the fear or of being only by myself. You mm. eat in front of a wall. Mm. You don't talk, you don't read, you don't even have any mirror to look yourself into. Yeah. I was with a roommate. I could not bond with this roommate for the whole 10 days. Um, and you know about Vipassana retreats? Oh, yeah. yeah. M- maybe I should Just for the explain. audience, maybe let's, yes. let's, let's, let's explain what Vipassana okay. retreats are. Vipassana <laughs> is a 10-day retreat where you meditate for more than 10 hours per day. You don't have any rights to talk, to read, to write, to draw, to look yourself into the mirror, to even exercise. You are only here to meditate and you ha- you have only two meals per day that are vegetarian and you're asked to eat consciously and it's an amazing experience it's basically lockdown <laughs> without social media <laughs> without social media <laughs> sounds amazing without actually <laughs> I, I, my, and, you, yeah. and you don't do anything but meditating yeah and you did it in vietnam no what i did, did it in uh, myanmar myanmar yeah mm-hmm. okay very good i wanted to do it last year mm-hmm. my sister has done it my sister is one year older so she's 37 i'm 36 my sister has done it maybe like 10 times and she had to deal obviously with the same type of traumas than mine mm. but it really did help her mm-hmm. and i think my ego was talking a lot where it's like oh, i can do it too or whatever like you know it's just 10 days but then she was like have you ever meditated more than an hour just sitting still and i'm like yeah and it's quite difficult and she's like so how do you think you're gonna do 10 hours <laughs> i think the context helps a lot yeah and sure. before vipassana i would not meditate more than 15 minutes mm-hmm. and then i just felt like yeah it's the right time it's the right place and being in the context of everybody there were 150 people plus depending on the center and the fact of being part of the group even though you don't know anybody you just say like okay it's just one opportunity in a lifetime to be in that kind of condition i have to go to the end of it and at least so that i can see what benefits is coming out of this because everyone is talking about it and all those 150 people are all locals and it seems that it's not their first time. Yeah. And so, so there was no question asked for me, like, I have to go through. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and and the benefits of it were amazing. It's super hard to to put words on it. Mm-hmm. I will try my best to describe how much powerful this experience is. Being able to connect spiritually with 150 people that you don't know, this was the first time in my life, like not talking about to them, not pleasing mm-hmm. them, not doing anything with them, mm-hmm. but meditating and eating together. That was just amazing. It's, it's just like mind-blowing. Like meditation in general, like many people don't know, feel the benefits of it at the beginning and I myself like a meditator like 45 minutes a day or one hour today I did one hour (laughs) and the benefit of it accumulated for me like after a year but I can imagine when you there in a vipassana retreat 10 hours a day that benefit comes out in a more intense way but like it's i can imagine it's so hard to pinpoint (laughs) the name of that benefit you just feel present yeah you feel present you feel aligned you feel nothing can hurt you Mm -hmm. nothing can uh, trouble you it's just you are as you are i feel like you you didn't have too much trouble reconnecting with yourself and having that inner dialogue that's why I say it must be hard at the beginning because most of the people that I've talked to that did Vipassana was like just dead on crying for the first three days. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not used to talk to yourself or you're not used to hear yourself, mm-hmm. you know, when it when everything becomes silence outside, then it becomes very noisy inside. And that's mm-hmm. the purpose of meditation is just to reconnect with that. It, it seems like you didn't have too much of a trouble listening to yourself again no because uh entering to vipassana i already started my self-development journey and i knew how to dialogue to have this dialogue with myself Mm -hmm. very good i'm very happy to have your experience today the thing with vipassana is that the effect doesn't last for long Mm -hmm. that's why people are, are going back because it, the effect of vipassana it wears off a long time because you're in, inserting back to nice. society and you're drinking again alcohol <laughs> you're eating again like some meat yeah. you're bonding with other people but the thing is that this experience it will never never be forgotten because you live this experience so it will always be part of you yeah. it's just that there is a balance uh there's a balance that is uh, that is happening over life, and the idea is ne- to never bury it anywhere, yes. and to embrace it. And I guess that this drug addiction period for you um, was a lot of suffering, and mm-hmm. yes. and self sabotaging. I think, Strategy. Was, I think it was the outcome of all of that. It was the outcome of people pleasing. It was the outcome of feeling the toxicity of my own emotions and the uh, the emotions of others. And mm-hmm. I feel like the drugs was the escape needed. Mm-hmm. But it, it also allowed me to express myself. Mm-hmm. It, it allowed me to cheat and remove fears in a way. Like a, a crystal meth does that. It removes that part that the connection with others and it, it allowed me to express the dirty, dirty, dirty side of myself mm-hmm. 
and all that toxicity just came out and it just came out to the eyes of the public <laughs> and, they, and i had to and i had to deal with the the public fallout of all of that and like you know my the image that i had in society and like you know the whole deal with my own sexuality and all those things mm -hmm. so i decided to face that and my my first step into self-development was really to dive in into those fears to really understand which one was driving me and for me the fear of rejection the fear of abandonment was so strong in my life mm -hmm. that when i saw that the addiction was taking over i i made the choice to stand up and be like this is me I'm an addict. <laughs> This is, I've been doing crystal meth for a year and every day. And, you know, like I have a weird sexuality and, and, and it's just here on the table. Everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what saved me at the, at the end. Mm -hmm. But yeah, enough about me. <laughs> <laughs> that's super interesting because you're talking about fear of embracing yourself and fear of, of, um, rejection and rejection, rejection yeah. and, being a, a fear of being abandoned mm -hmm. and those fear like vipassana helped me to unveil uncover all those fears yeah. i think it was one of the shortcuts in my self-development there are many shortcuts in my journey <laughs> because you can always do self-development by yourself yeah. by reading self-help books talking about that with your friends but sometimes those friends don't want to talk about it because mm -hmm. it's too heavy right yeah And there are some shortcuts, and I think that Vipassana helps Definitely. on that to really yeah. dive deep and not being attached to those fears. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is here. I've been attached for my whole life. Yeah. But now it's going to change. Yeah. And I exactly. want to change. Yeah. And by opening up with other people, mm -hmm. I think you make it even more real. Like, yes, yeah. I am as I am. Yeah. <laughs> I fear, I'm scared of being abandoned, I'm scared of engagement, mm -hmm. but I want to work on it. Yeah. I have the choice. And this is really the beginning of the whole impact that you can do, you can have in the community. You just uh, started this self-development journey mm -hmm. and Vipassana was one of them. Mm -hmm. And how this helped you to continue this journey of self-development, like how other things started to unfold around you after that? Hmm. With Vipassana, I could see it was positive experience because I could see myself shine. So I was like, okay, this is a positive experience. So I'm going to dive in deep in, into that, um, starting journaling and practicing positive psychology and becoming a coach and then a certified trainer and starting to structure how mm -hmm. I can help people to grow. Since 2019, was there any other aha moments in your self-development journey, like very milestones where you're like, ah, you know, like this is something important or I, I understood something important about myself that I can bring it into my professional life right now? Mm -hmm. So I think like Vipassana is a very rich experience and I'm still learning from it. Mm -hmm. The bungee jumping that I did while well, I am scared of heights <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was definitely life-changing also mm -hmm. because I kind of said hi to death Yeah, yeah. and say hi. <laughs> I, it's not my time yet. <laughs> uh, but it was quite like a life-changing experience. Coaching and like learning how to be a coach mm -hmm has been an experience, a very rich experience, where you look yourself into the mirror. And 
being certified in the process communication model also, which is a very powerful tool to increase all areas of emotional intelligence. That really helped me to structure how I see myself and how mm-hmm. I see the behaviors of others and to overanalyze less and being more effective in communicating with others. Very good. So those are four big aha moments that <laughs> I have had so far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I have like little aha moments also when I'm... So as I said, I have like the same friend base for four years. I'm super lucky because in Vietnam, it's super hard to have long-term friendship because the people come and go. Mm-hmm. But I have a solid base. I'm quite happy with that and super grateful. Yes. And with these friends, we can have open-hearted conversations for hours. And it really helps to have those friends with their perspective to um, analyze situations and so that you can move on mm-hmm. and move forward in your life without having these thoughts and over-analyze uh, mm-hmm. tendency. It sounds to me that you've started to embrace yourself like kind of like finding your own voice and speak up about what you like to do, what you want to do, and also finding the community that supports you as a person and your growth yeah exactly we're super big on that on the podcast to remind everybody that is listening that to have the proper support system yes is essential to your growth (laughs) exactly super beautiful (laughs) shout out to your friends yeah Yeah, i love them (laughs) the last aha moment that i had was during lockdown is that how lonely i could be Mm-hmm. And that really reminded me a lot of my childhood traumas. Mm-hmm. I still had struggled to reach out to people and lockdown helped me to reach out to people yeah. and said, okay, now I don't feel all right. And again, this yes. friend base, yes, yes. <laughs> come back. And without them, this support system, I wouldn't be able to talk about how happy I am today yeah. and fulfilled very important shout out to them again (laughs) (laughs) it's again the the word loneliness is a very important word and i think people need to know that you can feel lonely even though you are surrounded by people yeah Mm -hmm. oh yes Yes. and a lot of time i could i feel lonely because yeah because there's so many people so many emotions and energy Uh around me and then sometimes my brain is shutting down and you just like feel lonely because yeah that feeling i know that feeling it's hard to describe it but uh, when i experienced it Mm -hmm. it's hard to describe the feeling it just you feel that there's a void Mm -hmm. even though you know friends are asking you about how you feel Mm -hmm. or you even have conversation with others but you still have that void and when it's about solitude it's really i feel fulfilled as you said and enjoy what i'm doing right now alone but when you feel lonely it's um it's just an emptiness yeah the void is the disconnect i think you're disconnected with yourself and that's the loneliness and you're trying to find connection outside because you can't find it inside and to go back to vipassana i think the the experience is to be able to connect in silence with Mm -hmm. so many people where you really felt 
not alone. <laughs> exactly. That, that's what I'm going to take out from that Vipassana experience. Really beautiful way to say that. Yeah. I'm going to move on to the next topic. We're going to talk about Tide Consulting. Mm -hmm. So first, when did it start and what was the purpose behind founding Tide Consulting? So 2019 was the year of exploration. I do the Vipassana. I did the bungee jumping. I changed my career. And I explored the world of HR, of human resources. I represented a consulting firm based in Paris. Mm -hmm. And I really love that, that activity of helping people grow and helping people to work on their self-esteem, expressing themselves on the workplace, because workplace is not only transaction of work against salary, yeah. it's also an experience. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> And this experience has to be nurtured by everyone, the organization, but also the employees. So it was rich, full of potential, and really connected to my passion of people. I'm a people person. I'm an introvert people person that can be lonely. And I am as I am. Yeah. And it's all right. It's part of me. And I wanted to... I just felt like it was the right thing to do because there are so many employees that are about to be burnt out, mm -hmm. that feel cast away while they are working in big organizations with shiny, uh, shiny offices. Mm -hmm. But it's not, it's not enough. Yeah. Uh, there is a real work of self-knowledge, uh, self-care, learning how to interact with each other, how to connect, how to motivate each mm -hmm. other. Yeah. is important. So I realized that during 2019. And unfortunately, the mission with the French consulting firm ended up because they didn't have enough fund to expand to Vietnam. So after that, I decided to start my own business. So in 2020, I started Tide. Tide is a consulting firm specialized in HR trainings, in yes. communication, leadership development, and employee experience. Mm -hmm. We support companies that really care about their employees yes. in creating a context where their employees can thrive. Yes. Yeah, it's very and important. your companies are all based in Vietnam or it's yes. international? Yes. My clients for the moment are based in Vietnam. Yes. The pandemic did not help the sure. business development mm -hmm. and the Makes decisions <laughs> on budget <laughs> for training and development of their people. Mm -hmm. But I have good faith on the coming years because there's a big shift in the business world mm -hmm. where well-being of employees is rising. So since right now most of the clients that you have are in Vietnam, mm -hmm. do you see any pushback in anything that you were trying to do in terms of employee management or employee emotional management and employee growth mm -hmm. and uh, in my very little experience that I have in Vietnamese companies, those are topics that usually are not cared of or, <laughs> or not even looked at. Mm -hmm. And it might have some pushback or it might be like, oh, what are you, you doing? So did you have any of this? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. The reason behind that is that the conception of business, of companies, of organizations so far was very transactional. Yes. It's you work against a salary mm -hmm. and that's it. And that is changing because of digitalization, because there is a part of the workforce that is coming from the women 
like work was only for men before mm -hmm. and it started to evolve and women can work now i know it can be surprising to talk about it but we are coming from far yeah. <laughs> like women before were not allowed to yeah. work and to talk so there's a lot of things that have evolved throughout the years mm -hmm. emotional intelligence is increasing there are all those factors that are changing But the organization for a long time stayed the same, yeah. very transactional. And so people were not thinking about it. It's, mm. oh, we are going to earn as much profit as possible yeah. and keep that profit. Mm. Now, companies are starting to take that profit that they generate and invest it into the well-being of their employees. So when you approach a company, how easy for you to talk about the benefits of this kind of people development, especially in Vietnam, because I feel like the working culture is still very, very intense. Like you often work from Monday to Saturday, mm -hmm. not even Monday to Friday. And many people have very long hours of work. And in reality, based on studies, you cannot work effectively for eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. The effective work you do is around three hours. Mm -hmm. maximum the rest is about socializing meetings and those kind mm -hmm. of things so but i feel like this concept of um, developing or uh, creating employee well-being is not a general concept yet that people would be willing to invest in how do you change the conversation mm -hmm. about this i change conversation by creating events where i invite people who have already in invested in the development of their people so that they can inspire the whole community. Mm -hmm. And I launched like recently a podcast called Asian Tide. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Please uh, follow us on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> Tell the, us more about the podcast. Where mm -hmm. I invite uh, progressive business and HR leaders mm -hmm. to talk about how they drive growth by investing in the development of their people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um This is very interesting, actually, because I've been stuck in like the pushback and like the the, the mass of companies yeah. that are not appealed to this when like it's very true. You can just focus on the people that are already doing yeah. it and yeah. the progressive people. So, so you're doing it right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on what is positive yes. <laughs> rather than being influenced by the negative yeah. Yeah. because it's a, it's a very chemical and natural effect of our brain mm -hmm. of focusing on the negative because we fear yes right on over 50 thoughts if 49 are positive and one is negative the brain is wired to focus on the negative one getting that statistics like 49 one that really drives me on focusing on the positive and the lockdown also was a great opportunity to practice positive psychology and said okay What went well today? Mm -hmm. uh, what are my plans to self-care? It's a daily practice and mental exercise of always coming back to the positive and say, okay, it's not black and white. Mm -hmm. And actually, most of it is white. So <laughs> why complain? Why, yes. uh, why putting that much pressure on yourself? Because there's only one thing that is negative. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. So what type of, uh, of people are you interviewing? 
for the podcast. So what I mean by progressive leaders mm-hmm. is people who are positive and who don't let uh, themselves bothered by the negative thing. Mm-hmm. People who really care. And when I say care, it's not only caring and not doing anything. It's really acting for them, mm-hmm. trying new initiatives, being creative for the well-being of the employees. Being a progressive leader means that you move forward and move away from the one-size-fits-all and you do the best you can to find the right fit between the well-being of your employees and the productivity mm-hmm. of your employees. Very good. And so that's also what you're doing for Thai Consulting. That last sentence that you said, that's exactly what you're doing for the companies. You're trying to find that the right balance for each company is different. Mm-hmm. And so far, your experience has been good. I guess, removing COVID and all the, all the hurdles. Mm-hmm. So far, all the clients that you've had and the companies that you've been working with have been good. Yeah. It's, good. it's been a good experience. Yeah, it's a good yeah. experience. It's new in mm-hmm. Vietnam and in Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My goal when I started was I have 10 years okay. to grow 1,000 business leaders that actually do for their employees. That's already a good number. Yeah. Yeah. In 10 years. Yeah. And I'm one year in <laughs> and I love it. A few years back, I did the exercise of finding your ikigai. Ikigai. Yeah. <laughs> did the same. <laughs> and then this all comes together because of my ikigai mm-hmm. of helping people grow. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's very good. And so the podcast you've started, when did you start it? I started it just after the end of the pandemic. It's been very rewarding to create a podcast. I think for you, it's also the extension of you creating events, inviting those progressive people. It makes sense. It's, it's a great way to connect uh, intentionally with people. I feel like creating a podcast and like having those type of interviews always, always help, always bring values. To people so I'm, i'm really happy that you're starting yours and thank you and and the thing is that there is not enough podcast and knowledge sharing platforms in the region mm-hmm. and specifically in vietnam yeah. and that was one of my struggle during the lockdown or it's not really struggle it's more like opportunity that I, i saw is that the knowledge available on the internet is more focused on europe and the us yeah mm-hmm. and There is a real opportunity here in sharing experience. Yeah. And that's why we create those contexts. Yeah. Because we are all creating value. Yes. And all those values are adding up. Mm-hmm. They are not yeah. competing yeah. With, it, with each other. It's Yeah, and I also, with whether it's about creating or what you are doing, it's creating a ripple effect, I believe so, mm-hmm. by helping other people in HR in Vietnam or even overseas having this open conversation about growing their own employees, you're going to create this ripple effect in this industry. That's why my logo is a, is a ripple effect. It's a ripple effect. <laughs> yeah. It's very beautiful. Very nice. Yeah. But yes. Yeah, definitely. That's the, the ripple effect or the Fibonacci sequence where... I don't know if you know the, the golden the number. Go- yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Where you, you start from zero to one, but mm-hmm. the most difficult part is going from one to one. Because where, mm-hmm. and, and I think that podcasts are contributing yeah. into creating 
that start of the ripple effect. Yeah. yeah. So um, I think we're coming to the end of the interview. I can't say how grateful I am to you for sharing all of the things that you've shared today. If I may come back to a little bit of your childhood or your, your past mm -hmm. experience, I have one question that I really wanted to ask is, how is your relationship with your family now? And do they know? Yes, they know. Yes. You can't change behaviors that have been there for the long time, right? Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, I said that my mom is the kind of person that avoid mm -hmm. conversations. Mm -hmm. So, but at some point, we did have some conversations where it created a conflict, but we grew up out of those conflicts. Mm -hmm. I am more peaceful with myself, so... All my explanations to her are very rational and logic and organized. And I try my best all the time that there is a conflict that arises to be as clear as possible to her. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that there is patterns, right? And sometimes she always comes back to <laughs> this story and I'm like... Mom, move on. <laughs> I'm all right, okay? <laughs> Just <Yeah>. leave me. <laughs> but, Very painful to trigger you. <laughs> yeah, but it's... Uh, yeah, they yeah. are our best friends and, and they can be our best enemy at some point. Yeah. Yeah. But I love, I love my mom. I love my mm. dad. Yeah. Uh, my brother. I love my family. I really embrace them. And I accept the fact that we don't have the same level of consciousness. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing my best to take them at the same level as I am. And so that we can exchange openly and having open-hearted conversations. But it's very hard to have the same posture that I have with my friends because I didn't build yeah, the course. relationship yeah, with my family, right? It's it's, it's something that is natural. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people can relate with that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. there's a lot of effort. Nothing is set into stone. Mm -hmm. Anything is possible as soon as you care about yourself, yeah. know yourself, and then really everything is possible. Yeah. Very, very beautiful. Very Thank beautiful. you. Thank, Thank you. you so Thank much you for so sharing. Much. We're going to close the episode or finish the episode for today. Once again, I'm going to say thank you so much, Denise, for coming today. Thank you for sharing all of this information with us. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you so much. And did we forget anything or do you have one last word? <laughs> thank you very much for your energy. I felt really good before and during and <laughs> this interview. Keep going. Thank you. Because we need you. Okay. <laughs> thank, you. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much, Denise. And that's it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Vietnam. If you like this episode, become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. Also by sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.